So, we're getting to the last part of this 10-day retreat, believe it or not. <laughs> Come around. Some it feels like very quick. For other times it can feel like it's uh, <clears throat> an eon, depending what kind of state we're in and where we're at. But uh, the fact is that um, we have about two more days together. You can hear the mind going, thank God. <laughs> Counting the hours and get released. <laughs> or part of us that's very nervous. Oh no, I've just caught my first breath. Need another ten days. <laughs> about trying to find a way to have some continuity so that these markations in our life, retreat, non-retreat, become less potent, less powerful. I feel very anxious about leaving this space. However we feel, just really learning to, as we have been, to, to be with that, so the continuity is not so dependent upon the circumstance and the environment, but the ability to, to be here with however it is. It's like this now, quiet, gathered, supportive. Oh, someone put in a note today, you know, before the end of the retreat, and then they put before hell breakthrough. <laughs> that feeling of kind of this quiet space erupting into a, a thousand conversations, which is always a little traumatic for all of us, I think. See if we can negotiate that a little bit more carefully, the ending of a retreat, and to <clears throat> rather than to um, unconsciously go from this experience into getting in our cars and leaving or trains to actually more consciously begin to allow the thought of an ending process into the mind, even though it's a few days here, we still have a few days. Just to allow that to be there, so that the body, the energy, psychologically, we, we can begin the sense of transition. So I was talking last night about that a lot of the activity of past Dharma practice is planting seeds. And so a lot of what we're doing is planting seeds or watering seeds that have already been planted. Some of those seeds aren't just planted here, they've been planted probably many lifetimes ago, if we're open to that possibility. And they're already there, but they've lain dormant. Some of these seeds, Dharma seeds, are very ancient within us. So we hear the Dharma is very familiar. Other seeds, Dharma doors practices are newer. Oh, I haven't, this is a new aspect. And so how in our daily life to cultivate that garden where the seeds are planted and to protect it 
not to be overly obsessed with how the seeds are going to flower. Can't see any flowers yet. Pour a bunch of manure and drown the seeds. Overdo it. <laughs> Put them in the hot house. Ravel them. How can we gently and consistently nurture the seeds of our awakening so we don't burn out in intensity or we, we don't overwhelm ourselves? The idea of enlightenment even can be sometimes, it's not that, that we shouldn't hold that or have that there as a potential, but we can feel overwhelmed. It can be something that intimidates our relationship to how we are now. Not that enlightened, actually, right now. Being pretty confused. So, taking with us, beginning to realize that the path activity, the Buddha didn't say, it's just sitting. That's all there is. Eightfold path, just sit. (laughs) In fact, in many ways, this some of these teachings and practices that we've been doing were a very small part of the path that he laid out, a very significant part. The Buddhist disciples spent a lot of time walking, yes, in solitude, but also in community, interacting with each other in community, interacting with, they were ordained with lay people, they were lay people holding positions within the society, having families, livelihood, relation, complex relationships. People have a notion, sometimes, even if you're a monk or nun, you, you sort of free yourself from a lot of that activity. And some of it you're freed from, but others, it's just the same, really. A complex relationship, holding positions, duties, responsibilities, demands upon one's energy, time. Whether in or out of a monastery, the field of relationship is is there. <clears throat> so a lot of path activity is actually exploring that. How can we be with that in all aspects of our life? How can we be with the notion of path and gather in all aspects of our life into uh, a place of awareness or attention or investigation? starting with the relationship with ourselves. This retreat allows us to explore what is the primary mode of our relationship. How do we actually create relationships? How do we hold relationships? How are we in relationship with this this body and mind, with, with all the different feeling tones that arise, with all the different moods and states and fantasies and desires and joys and the whole range relationship with breath, with body. It's been mentioned in some of the small groups about the need for safety to relax, to really create relationships, to really more deeply connect, to allow things to unfold, there needs to be a sense of safety, being held, being supported. 
And that's true, I think, psychologically. Uh, it's, it's profoundly true when there's a sense of being held, safetyness, support, <coughs> we can allow ourselves to be. And the depth of psyche, joys, the wounds can be, can emerge, can be met. But our daily life doesn't always offer that us that, or our relationship, the sort of relationship doesn't always offer that. So how can we actually create that sphere of safety and trust within our own inner domain? Where we can not be sabotaged by ourselves, where we can learn to trust ourselves, and we can learn to create safety for our own being. This teaching, the foundation of the path that the Buddha laid out, is really to do a lot with precepts, or just how to live in a way that creates or generates a sense of self-worth, respect, safety, well-being. This notion of precepts covers activity, the use of mind, which goes right back to the more subtle intention. And if you look at all of the precepts, all the forms of, whether it's the Vinaya, the very complex discipline of one training as a mendicant under the Vinaya discipline, or the framework for lay practice, they all they all point to a place of non-harming. They all more deeply encourage us to learn to align our intention, our body and speech in a way that increasingly doesn't generate harm for ourselves, violence for ourselves and for the world around us. person that we're often the most violent to is ourselves, the most harsh with. So encouraging me <coughs> and go into our daily lives to really <coughs> explore this preset vehicle as a very foundation for everything else not as uh, something that's oppressive or judgmental, but as something that supports our inner sense of well-being, that the ability to trust ourselves more and more. And we know that this is a place, this is a vehicle that we can relax into. And others can trust us. So when we're talking about container, that which contains, that which gathers in, that which capacity, we're talking about mindfulness as capacity, but what protects mindfulness or our ability to be here is this, this preset vehicle, this vehicle of increasingly being able to be here in the world in ways that are 
that are sensitive to ourselves, to our beings, that are aligned more and more in ways that are non-harming, careful. Not always easy to do when things are so busy, so rushed, old habits that are so driven, needs, anger that can emerge, breaks out of the container. Something happens when we realize that there's been pain created from our consciousness or the unconsciousness of others. The tendency sometimes is just to deny that, to repress that, to not really want to deal with it. So there's, there's something about just allowing ourselves to feel sometimes when there has been harm, when there has been harm. To be able to really feel that, to feel the ripples of it in our being. Not to create guilt, which is actually in some ways a bit of a useless emotion. What a, and we create a sense of self, what a bad person, I condemn ourselves. And in a, in a way when we do that, we don't always get in touch with the actual feeling of, of what's happened. But we can feel, maybe just allow ourselves to feel the pain, not to create a self, but just to know this is how it is. This exchange with another didn't go so well. We're all human, this is how it is. We're not all enlightened, we're not all sensitive sometimes. There's pain here, and allow that pain, rather than creating a negative perception about ourselves, which we, we don't really need, to actually inform us. Is there a way I could adjust? Can I learn from this? Can I learn the heat, the pain of this? Can it inform me? we cut off our capacity to feel, then sometimes it's harder for us to adjust our speech, our activity, our livelihood. So we need to feel, and to feel in a lot of, a lot of what we fear when we go out into everyday life is, is, is this feeling nature, because we feel so much sometimes, because it's so, you know, so unrelenting, so much comes our way, so complex. When we dull our capacity to really resonate with the effects of how we are, then then we undermine our capacity to really grow in compassion and wisdom. So when we soften in the meditation or on retreat like this, sometimes we're just allowing the space to feel things we don't usually allow ourselves to. Maybe some of the pain that's come from being out of harmony in our relationships or in our activity, ways that we've harmed ourselves or others. This is very delicate work. It's very tender. It's very forgiving. It's very allowing. It's very saying, yes, this is how it is. In the human realm, we, we do things where we crunch up against another. It's inevitable, not, but what we can perhaps trust as we can become more in touch with that is our intention. Maybe our intention can purify intention to, to be in the world in a way that isn't, we're not intending to hurt. 
trusting that and then allowing the respects of how we are to inform to be felt. Trusting starting that trusting our wisdom. The root of wisdom is this ability to to be here with attention and awareness. The very root with some discernment. Not you know, just holding a particular view or the views there knowing this is a, a view, I think this is right and this is wrong. But in a more subtle way, wisdom is being able to really just meet life in a more open way. This is how it is. Changing, it's like this. Being receptive. But also with discernment. To be able to, to know, well, is this something I should follow or not? Is this something that needs to be put down and let go of? Is this wholesome? Something to do, develop, cultivate, or is this unwholesome? And then I need to not act on to allow it to burn away. So wisdom, the faculty of wisdom is not a static thing, it's not having a particular view or position that we meet life with, but it's, it's, uh, it's very fluid. It's the willingness to actually meet life from a place of, as was being said at some point, of, of not knowing, but being uh, the awareness in the not knowing. I don't know, let me be open, let me receive this, let me discern, let me adjust from how I understand. Let me try it out, let me test out what's the result of this. So these, these faculties, these seeds that grow well in the field of attention, in silence, the ability to, to feel, to discern, to know, to bring attention. And then a very important aspect of path activity, which is very um, translatable into everyday life, not so dependent on stillness and calmness, is the activity of kindliness. Gentleness, metta, welcoming, being kind, spacious, welcoming with those parts of ourselves, parts of the world where we naturally condemn, push away. Sometimes we can use metta almost as a defence. May, may all beings be well. May you be well. But don't come near me. <laughs> may this mood be well. But I don't really want to feel it. I don't really want to be with it. It is true that the, just the thought form of may I be well is very powerful. May I be well. May you be well. May you be free from harm. Lovely. 
Yeah. Either I like you or I don't like you, or you screwed up, or I can't forgive you, or you didn't do what I want, wanted you to do. May you be well. May that person that I've had a difficulty with, may they be well. And so some of the something in us that sometimes can you know can be very unforgiving, unallowing. It's not to say that we don't have discernment to notice, yes, there's weak spots in me, there's weak spots in you. But sometimes we just focus on the weak spots. That person's so arrogant. They're so out of touch. And look what they did then. Look how they were. And look at the way they said that to me. It's so insensitive. And what's more, I don't think that they they should be doing what they're doing. I, I, I really feel that I need to let them know how they are. You know, they don't hear the truth. I'm the one, I'm going to give it to them. <laughs> you can get into a very righteous position. They're right, you're right. Absolutely. <laughs> person should know. They screw up. Look what they're doing. Okay. You can get very, something in us can get very righteous. We don't see that in ourselves. It's very easy to see it in someone else. You can't see any good points. Someone comes up and says, well, that person, you know, they were great. They, they, they just really helped me out of this fix. They really... And you say, yeah, but you don't know. You don't really know what they're really like. Let me tell you. You know, they've got this problem and that problem and what's more, they screwed up here, there and everywhere. So it's meta, the, the, the literal translation, softening, to be able to soften around the judge, yes. It's not to say that to discount the information, yes, or to not be discerning, not to to know maybe this is an area where this person hasn't developed yet or I haven't developed yet. Maybe one needs to have attention there, care there. But it's allowing the mind not to become so obsessed with just the, the negative. You have to even consider, well, actually, this person is in one way. They have good aspects, too. I'm not just one way. I'm not just a hopeless case all the time. I've actually got courage. I've got strength. I've got staying power. I've got openness. I've got kindness. I've got generosity. I've got patience. I've got love, sensitivity, caring. And then often think of ourselves in those ways, you think, you know, like I can't get up in the morning, I'm grumpy, I'm not enlightened, what's more, and really useless person actually, if the truth was known. People think that I'm more together than I am, I'm not very confident, I don't know what to do. So we kind of have these ways of speaking about ourselves that we, we put ourselves down. So this method is to soften, to allow us to resonate with that which is kind, allowing, unjudging, receiving. So today I'd like to really encourage us in our practice to explore the, the subtle aspect of metta, um, our teachers to say, is allowing everything in the universe to be here. Every aspect of our being to be here, rather than condemning parts of it. Yeah, there are parts that the method doesn't say we approve of every aspect. 
I don't like the fact that there's wars going on, that there's violence going on, that there's corporate greed going on. I don't like all of this stuff. I don't approve. I want to do something about it. Can I just soften to that voice, to that feeling of, I don't, I don't want this, can I allow that? Can I allow all the aspects of our own greed and violence, participation in the external manifestation of all of our minds that we see rampant around this globe? Can we hear, listen, as we've been doing, those parts of our being that feel constricted, feel needy, feel dull, feel unaccepted, feel ashamed of, those thoughts. May this too be well. May I meet it with, with softness, with kindliness. Buddha said that this practice well developed is profound. This practice of being able to generate within the heart a sense of well-wishing, extending that into the world around us. And if we don't have the energy for that, at the more subtle level, just allowing ourselves to meet this moment, how it is, with an attitude of welcoming, non-resistance, non-contention, non-aversion leads to many blessings. One consciousness increases in one's life and one's able to go to sleep more easily, be free from nightmares, wake more easily. I know from these three attendant blessings I have a long way to go. <laughs> I can feel the moment of waking Oh, God, not another day. Here I am again. Mm. I've been practicing that very first moment of heaviness, coming into birth, coming into here we am, here I am, in the light. Can I have matter for that feeling? Can I just, when I meet that feeling, an enormous sense of resistance sometimes. The bell goes. There's that feeling there, resistance. Not wanting to be, can I actually welcome that? May this feeling, may it be well, may there be kindness here. Can I touch it, just even for a moment? Before I go to sleep, we can practice. You need to crash out, blot everything out. Oh, sweet sleep. So just as we're laying there, may this body be well as we breathe. Breathing in, may this body be well. May this mind, may this heart be well. I call myself. Exploring. Can we explore those places where we go unconscious, where we meet the stuck bits? Can we explore it with that concentration? This increases, the Buddha says, that we become dear to humans, to non humans, to the angelic kingdom, protected. Sometimes we, we want people to love us, to be kind. 
but it's hard sometimes to receive that unless we can offer it as well. So learning perhaps to offer it in small ways to ourselves, starting with ourselves, can we actually offer that to ourselves? We aren't humans. It was taught, originally the Buddha taught this teaching as um, when monks were practicing in dangerous places, the forest. We get scared of wild animals, scared of spirits, and so scared, so freaked out that they actually ran away from their, from their forest. And the Buddha said, well, how did your meditation go? Not so well. <laughs> We got frightened and we, we, we scarfed. And he said, well, did you start by practicing metta? Did you send out a vibration to all the creatures, all the spirits, all the beings, seen and unseen? Did you send out the message, I'm not here to harm you? Um, no, no, we forgot to do that. Well, you should. That's how you should begin. Begin, begin your meditation. Send that out. That thought form, that intention. I'm not here to harm you. We, we don't perhaps go and sit in tiger-infested forests, sit in lovely guy a house. And maybe we feel that we've got tigers around us, little scared. Other people sometimes go into a situation, social situation, feel their anxiety. Oh, maybe will people like me? Will they approve of me? Will I blow it? I say something stupid and dumb. It's, a, it's to go into that situation where the just thought, well, I'm not here to harm anyone. May these people be well. It diffuses that charge around the sense of separateness. It softens. As a protective force, we use this a lot. South Africa, downtown Johannesburg, is a bit like the jungle. A lot of fear, a lot of violence. It brings up a lot of fear in myself. Mm-hmm. To actually cultivate this intention in the whole, may, may the beings here, may they be well, may they be free from harm. May I be well. So the Buddha said, when this is very powerfully developed, it becomes a protective force. Becomes, it, does, it, it lessens the tendency to attract violence, strong negativity. One becomes immune from certain kinds of death. Death by fire and poison is mentioned in the suttas. One that's strongly grounded in this practice of non-harming, non-contention, welcome. And then even even more interesting, this practice of metta, when it's well cultivated, aids samadhi. It's a support for samadhi, the very first aspect of the path that we were cultivating at the beginning of the retreat. Supports quick concentration. Allows the attention to be here. Why? You think, oh, this practice is really for the old ladies in northeast Thailand. The old men, they can sit there wishing everyone, well, I've got things to do. I've got the wisdom to develop. I've got an emptiness to fall into. Maybe a warrior bodhisattva out there cutting through all the crap. What time for this? 
May I be well, may you be well. Business? Wimpish. <laughs> well, in a subtle way, this, this metta is really giving a message of not fighting, not contending. So when we're not busy pushing stuff away, when we're deeply allowing things to be as they are, in the body, the mind, in the heart, when we use that mood or that inner muscle as well developed, then it allows for a feeling of relaxation. It allows the body mind to relax, to be here. Not constantly in a, in a state of tension. The part of it is just blotting off part of our experience. Pushing things away. So this this metta, this softening, allows the mind to gather, the heart to gather. And then the Buddha goes on to say that one of the very beneficial aspects of this practice is it beautifies. <laughs> Just think of that. To worry about the cosmetics and the faithfulness. <laughs> Free. <laughs> Go to the stars. Beautifies the countenance. Someone, even if you know they're a bit decrepit and aged and twisted and gnarled, you meet someone that has a lot of metta, you feel attracted. You feel, you can feel there's a, the countenance, there's a sort of softener, radiance. You meet people like that sometimes. When we were just in Tibet, struggling around Mount Kailash, <laughs> see these. Tibetans with the most gnarled-looking faces. Spend their whole life wondering, oh, money for me, 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 oh, It's quite amazing. You see them radiating this glow, this peacefulness, this earthiness. You wouldn't classically say, you know, this is a picture for the front of Vogue. This lined, cravished, Face. But in fact, I found them more real, more beautiful, more integrated than uh, these rather sort of plastic-looking models. Sometimes that we get projected as beauty. This is beauty. No wrinkles, iron them all out. Not a grey hair. Thin as a rake. We have this sort of really narrow perception of what beauty is in a, in a being. It's really sad. And then the Buddha goes on to say, this practice well cultivated allows one to let go peacefully, to die peacefully. And if you open to the worldview of rebirth, if you allow the being to reappear, when consciousness reappears in a happy place, heavenly abiding. And the Buddha also taught, he taught the path profound wisdom, also taught how to be born in a happy place. <laughs> in this life and the next, you know, it's very lays it out. If you want to know how to be more happy, then these are the methods. You know, kindliness, generosity, samatha, gathering, cultivating these seeds of the heart, these muscles of the heart. So today in our <coughs> 
practice to as we begin to consider this transition slowly, 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 slowly from this form, this aspect, a lot of focusing, sitting, quietude, going into <coughs> our so-called daily life, to welcome, to, to practice today just welcoming, to soften, to offer up what is feel constricted or when you get anxious, nervous, dullness maybe, may I just welcome this, may this be well, may this tightness in my heart or a part of my body, may this be well, may I breathe with this, breathe into the body, may I be well, all the cells of the body, may this body be well. this wound that I have, feeling of not being lovable or needing too much or feeling lost. It's sort of these delicate places within our being that are sensitive to touch, painful sometimes to touch, feeling of separateness. Breathing into that, may this be well. May this be well. May this be well. So we can explore this today. This is welcoming, non-contention, gathering in into the breath, into the awareness with this tone of metta, of kindliness, of well-wishing, non-condemnation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.